welcome to the Burnout Podcast, where we discuss all things agile software development and delivery. We will be giving you an honest take on tools and techniques. We'll share our experiences, debunk myths, and hopefully provide needed inspiration. Hi, I'm Todd Anderson, Consultant Delivery Manager. I've done just about every job in IT, from tech support, programmer, network security, project and program management. I can't say I've done everything, but I've seen a lot. And I'm Marcel Bridge, digital consultant, business analyst and product owner. I've worked in digital before this even had a name, and since have been quite a bit around the block. And this is my way of giving back to the industry. So sit back, relax and settle in for this week's episode. All right. Hi, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode. Today, we're going to talk about space. More specifically, we're going to talk about the space industry. So NASA, SpaceX a little bit and whatnot, and how it, how it kind of relates to organizations. But the two things that you should listen to before this conversation uh, to really give it more context is, number one, there's a YouTube video called The Management Lessons of the Moon Program by Andrew Culkin. And the second piece of source material is a podcast called You're Wrong About, and it's specifically the episode called The Challenger Disaster from the 3rd of January, 2019. And that's with Sarah Marshall and Michael Hobbs. So if you have a couple hours to spare, please do check those out because they're really awesome uh, videos and, and a podcast. And it'll sort of give you some context about what we're talking about uh, in this episode. If not, then just listen along. And as usual, we'll put the links to all of these uh, materials in the show notes. Uh, there is also other stuff to read, which we thought was interesting in there as well. And I think the thing I wanted to mention to you, top the uh, Apollo 11 documentary on Netflix. They've done an amazing job. To kick this conversation off, is like, why are we talking about this? I think it really was that Apollo 11 documentary. I've always been a space nut. Like, I love space stuff. I love watching uh, space launch porn, which is watching <laughs> countdowns yes. of like SpaceX rockets and that sort of thing thing and long story short i was watching apollo 11 and it's just like it's so inspiring that whole story i mean you're, you're talking about forget about donald trump make america great again this is when america was great this is when we could do something we pulled together as a country and it's so inspiring when john f kennedy said you know we're going to, to send people to the moon and bring them back alive by the end of the decade it was basically like could this even be done like but we didn't know we jumped into that into the into the unknown and you know unfortunately kennedy wasn't able to see see that out but we made it and that really is a great segue that that kennedy speech was is a really great segue into this management lessons of the moon program youtube show by andrew culkin because in that video he goes through the apollo era management you know, like how basically at one point they had 400,000 different contractors working on the Apollo 11 project. And you're sort of like, oh, well, how do you bring geez, some of the projects we work on? It's hard to get 20 people to do <laughs> yes. the, same, the same thing. How do you get 400,000 people to do the same something that, yeah. you know, has never been done before and actually not have it blow up. Right. And so it's just sort of like say what you want to say about sort of old school this or whatever, like they really 
did something amazing that's never been done before. And I, I think it's really worth taking a second look at because I think it can apply to the way we look at things today, uh, you know, way we run projects. Yeah, I think this is, this is for me the interesting bit because, I mean, apart from just thinking... This is super, I'm finding this super interesting. Uh, as you say, geekery, there is a lot of, there are a lot of learnings in there. And I think the learnings are not the kind of MBA case study type materials. I think there's far more applicable and practical stuff in there. And I think that's kind of what you, when, when we talked about this, where you're like, look, I need to share this with you, man, because there's, there's some, yeah, super interesting stuff. I mean, you mentioned the JFK speech and the goal setting. The premise behind the video is it kind of lays out these 10 points. Yes. Like this pyramid, 10 point pyramid. And, and I, I liked it so much. I actually took a little screenshot of it. Number Like number one was a clear goal from the top, right? Man on moon, 1970. That was the clear goal. It was ambitious. It was clear and direct. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, no matter what, people could have their arguments. You know, one of the stories it tells, people could have their arguments during the day. But at the end of the day, they can go out in the parking lot, look up at the moon and say like, do you want to send someone there? Yes, we do. Like that, everybody could rally behind that goal. And I, and I think tying this back to today, having a clear goal is so important because, you know, what I keep seeing in a lot of organizations that I've worked with and for is that you have all these different goals and these different competing things and nobody's really kind of steering it from the top or there's not really like anything I make a rally around. So uh, basically teams end up trying to pick and choose the priority thing that they they think they should be working on and it's really super inefficient really confusing i don't know have you run into that at all oh, oh totally i mean you know i was just thinking like you know on, on two clients now where we had um you know the, the senior management telling us uh, whatever they need to be more efficient or they needed to scale up and then at the same time you realize there is some private equity guy in the in the mix or some venture capitalist company that has very very different uh, goals and they're like no 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 this is all, all not important we want to we want to go for an IPO in March and yeah. then sudden, suddenly you know all your your long term plans then they're, they're not that important anymore and I think it's what you said about the strong goal I think is important because it's very very clear this is the overarching goal this is the only thing that matters and you make everything happen to work in that direction there's there's no no room for interpretation here right, right? yeah you, and that is the problem like I, I I've seen like so many times and this is a direct message to leadership listen you need to set a clear goal if you have multiple people at the top setting things or second guessing things and shifting things last minute and you yeah. know teams have no freaking clue what to do like that they want to work they want to work towards a goal but if you're being wishy-washy or keep changing your mind it just causes chaos and i mean imagine yourself working in that situation if you're like one day you're working really hard on something and then suddenly the goal shifts because some different guy or some ceo says something like that's so demoralizing right when you just constantly have roadmap changes after roadmap change and like shifting shifting you can never get a solid footing and this reminds me a little bit too about kind of like why you have best practices and, and things like that in place is because it gives you a foundation to be able to improve upon right you know if you don't have that clear goal and you keep shifting things around here and there then it's like really hard to to improve, you know, because you never have a stake in the in the ground. You're, you're chasing a moving target, right? You're, and you can't yeah. can't go anywhere. I mean, it's interesting what you said because you said management listen up, and I totally agree with this. And thinking about the second point he made, that's for me also one which is about guys listen up. Tell us about the second thing. Yeah. So the second one is sufficient resources, right? James Webb, NASA administrator. You know, when they're like, "Hey, we're doing this moonshot. How much is it going to cost?" Everybody's like, "Nobody knows, right?" So so you know they the engineers take it away and do a classic estimation. So maybe we can yeah. talk a little bit about estimation here, <laughs> you know, classics, you know, the, they take it away. And then James Webb 
through a stroke of genius, use what, what was it? The administrator's discount? Is that, yes, is that exactly. The term they use? And he doubled the figure and took that back to Congress. And they're like, yeah, all right, we'll pay it. You know, like, and it, it turned out to be almost exactly on, you know, and, and I know taking this back to practicality, like when I kick off a project, I definitely add at least 50% or sometimes 100% to the estimate when I, I take it back to the client. And, and you know, like I, I hadn't heard this before, but when, when I heard it, I was, yeah, that's what you need to do because people are always overly optimistic about what they can do early on. You can't foresee all these things are going to happen. You know, all the difficulties, just sorting out ways of working and yeah. risks and things. So having the sufficient resources and setting that expectation up front that it's you're got to be in it for the long haul. And I think what I what I see, and I'm not sure whether you're seeing this, Todd, but I see actually the, exactly the opposite happening. That we don't a we don't trust our software engineers free to estimate, and then even if we do, then we we're like sorry, we haven't got that much, and we talk at them over and over again, and we're like, have a think about this. Does this really take so long? Is it really that expensive? Can you not cut corners? And in the end, they are just like, fuck it, we'll just give you the number you want, and the number is usually half of what what it should be, right? So we are going yeah. frequently in the opposite direction. And that's a trust thing. Like the trust is now blown. I mean, I make a big point these days that I, I, so first I let software engineers estimate. And if there is a conflict between software engineers, then you discuss why that is. But if they can't agree and it's not a massive disagreement, I go with a higher figure. And the other things I do is I have senior management in at least part of these estimation sessions that they see that there is a lot of thinking that goes into these numbers. Software engineers are not picking these or anyone. If you're good at your job, you're not picking these numbers out of thin air. You're not making this shit up. And then once once senior management understands how much thinking goes into it, they they also seem to accept the numbers better. I think there is a little bit of a thing to be said about if you give a number to a team and you say, we have that much budget, there is this theory that they always end up spending exactly that amount. Yeah, the the, the work lengthens to meet the... Exactly. Have you ever done this thing where, because I sometimes do this a little bit where you're increasing the number, but you're not necessarily telling the team that you have done that? Yeah, so so what I typically do is I let the team estimate as they would what they think it is unencumbered but when i add it what i'm adding is i'm adding for risk and i'm adding yes. adding, adding for the cone of uncertainty that yeah. you, you have yeah. in, in early in projects so i'm not i'm not being disingenuous by by adding 50 to 100 i'm just being realistic yes. and i'm pricing in that risk anyways but we should move on so so those first two clear goal from the top sufficient resources that's directly to you leaders number three is about systems thinking and i absolutely love this systems thinking thing oh yeah I think it's something that's been lost in just in general because and 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 when I saw that it really resonated with me again because it's something that I tend to do it's something that the better developers and people I work with tend to do is they see laterally right they yeah see the big picture exactly like how how has this played out in some of your projects Werner von Braun uh, who was part of the Apollo 11 mission he basically had this management structure right where rather than have just a pyramid where everyone reports upwards he was talking to not just only the guys directly under him but a level further down and then these guys would laterally talk to their peers and the yeah. interesting thing with this is that if you talk to not your manager but the guy a level higher up the middle management can't just fudge the figures to look good and they right. can't hide the uncomfortable truth and I see this in so many organizations which are too hierarchical where actually you're not allowed to talk laterally or people don't like it if you do it you have to go through some manager so basically you report upwards and then the information trickles down again rather than go, go laterally and we do see that the best teams are the teams where a software engineer or a, or a DevOps guy is just like, fuck it, I'll just walk over across the floor and I'll just introduce
introduce myself to the guy who sits at that desk. And I know that guy is the DevOps lead of another team and they just start talking. To your point, it's super important to have the understanding that we're working in complex systems. I know you're working in a big organization at the moment. How, how do you coordinate your teams? A lot of what I'm trying to do is to get this Venn diagram of roles to overlap a little bit better, both within the roles themselves about understanding the roles and responsibilities and really understanding where they fit and whether there's a gap or overlap, make sure those roles can talk to each other. A practical thing to help this is sort of like, you know, the whole sort of stand-up scrum of scrums type thing. Make sure that you have those opportunities, like you say, the, the Von Braun uh, thing, for leadership and whatnot to be able to look across and sideways and, and have teams be able to look across and sideways, not just tunnel vision on their particular piece. I think the thing for me is also the thing about transparency, right? To make sure that transparency is important to them and that there is an open flow of information. If you start hiding information because you, you can't be honest with your line managers or whatever, then that, that is already kind of a sign of disaster. And we'll talk about this when we talk about the challenger disaster because that is one of the problems they face. Yeah, and I also think system thing is also mentality of lifting yourself up. It's a way of thinking. Like you're actually looking like, oh, well, yes. how do I, how, where do I fit in this grand business process or this... Where do I fit in this ecosystem of what we're trying to achieve? And what do I optimize? What can I influence? But if I move the needle here, what effect will that have downstream? So it's, it's really a mentality thing. It's raising yourself out of the weeds and into that 10,000 foot view. Absolutely. I mean, we spoke last time, I think, on the last podcast, we spoke about, you know, inceptions. And I think that is one of the processes we use to start and kick off that system thinking where we bring everyone in the same room and not, not every everyone, but from different disciplines and, and a group of relevant stakeholders and they start aligning and sharing context. And that is first point of creating this understanding that you're part of a bigger thing and how everything fits together. Yeah, should we move on to configuration management? Yeah, yeah, this this made me cringe. Well, I think this is still pretty relevant. It is, it is, but it made me initially cringe, I must admit. And I'll tell you in a second why, but uh, tell us about it. The problem they had early on that caused issues three astronauts were in the vessel they were doing a test and a fire broke out because of faulty wiring and it just basically killed the three astronauts and they couldn't get out the hatch didn't work and stuff like that so the problem they were having is that they brought all these different pieces together from different contractors and, and there's sort of a quality issue this wiring which caused a fire and it made them sort of step back and sort of say well wait a minute we need to look at our processes of how we do things and how we change mm -hmm. things. Basically, the idea behind configuration management is that everybody has all these great ideas about what they can change and what they can optimize. But if they are laser focused on their little bit of it and changing and optimizing it, you can't see how it hangs together as a whole system. And so if I'm working on the rocket propulsion bit and you're working on the capsule bit, you might be optimizing your bit, I'm optimizing my bit, but then nobody's kind of stepping back and seeing how the whole system works together. So yeah. what they've decided to do is have these checkpoints where they say, you can change whatever you want, but you need to check in and sort of say, this is what the yep. whole thing together looks like at this point in time. It's like a snapshot in time. And then everybody can take that away. It reminds me a lot of like Git repos. <laughs> like, <laughs> like basically everybody's doing a Git pull. It's almost like identical to that. Everybody's doing a Git pull. They get the latest thing and they know when they're developing off of it, that they're developing against the latest brand. And I think that's a good, good comparison because initially it made me cringe when they said configuration management. I thought, oh shit, this is like where you have a configuration librarian and you have like documentation numbers. Numbers and But it's not about that. It's not about the formalism. For me, configuration management is all about the interfaces between different parts. And you, we have this in software engineering right, with contract-driven development 
where you have contracts between components. And if you change your component, ideally you don't change the contract. But if you do, then you need to communicate that upwards or yes. outwards or whatever. And you see this actually is a really funny example um, from a totally different domain, but the Berlin airport, the disaster, why, why that thing is, is not, not opening and who knows when it's going to open. is exactly the same thing where they had too many subcontractors. They didn't want to get it delivered by a single company. They wanted to give the business to small subcontractors, which was initially a good idea, but then no one managed them and everyone kind of was doing their own thing. So a lot of components weren't talking to each other and that created all sorts of problems in terms of health and safety, etc. And it's exactly that. How do you make teams that are responsible for different components interface with, with each other properly? So I think what they said, and I think you've said it earlier, uh, alluded, alluded to it, that it's not about restricting change. That's the important message here, right? It's enabling change with reduced risk, basically. Right. And the quality thing too, having that bigger view of how it all hangs together, there's definitely plenty of legacy monoliths out there. And like somebody's going to tweak something in one corner of the monolith and it has a knock on effect somewhere yeah. else. That is your Apollo 1 blow up on the launch pad moment. This is a good case for sort of breaking things up into microservices or, or smaller domains. And if you can define those really good interfaces and show how things fit together as a whole system, then you have that quality built in. So I think we're going to move on now. Instead of jumping to number five in the talk, we're going to jump to six, which is test, test, test under flight conditions. This is a great one. This, so this is saying we're going to test things. But what we're going to do is we're going to make sure we test it as it would behave in real life. This is another point that sounds like agile development. Totally, is. right? I mean, we test in production, right? And either directly in production or in the mirrored environment, basically, because otherwise you never know whether you, are, you, know, you could be testing anything because it's not under real conditions. It doesn't mean that you don't test the individual components. Oh, you no. don't do that piece, right? You, you test all the way along, but you ultimately also test under real conditions. Was it him making this example or did I read that somewhere but some of these massive rockets where, which was assembled in three parts. I think Werner von Braun being kind of coming from a German and more kind of risk averse background what he would have done is he said let's test the kind of the third stage and have everything filled with water for the weight but not with rocket fuel. If that had gone well he would have done a second test testing kind of the third and the second stage and then finally testing the entire thing and um, the administrator at the time was like no you won't you'll test the entire thing right from the beginning. Yeah that was a pretty ballsy move because you, got, <laughs> yeah. like, you could make the case for, for both. <laughs> I agree. For both cases. And, and I think that he makes the point, well, if they would have tested the whole thing and would have blown up, you wouldn't have oh. actually known which part caused Absolutely. the explosion. Absolutely. So the takeaway there is you make sure you do the whole testing pyramid. You test the unit test, you make yeah, the final yeah. test, you know, contract testing, and, and then you do the end-to-end -end under real conditions. And then you start doing monitoring and production. But it's that testing mentality. And, and I think that's the, the thing that's super important yeah. to take and I mean, we do a lot of stuff at the moment uh, one of our colleagues Lindsay uh, Pruer has just um, written a little a little booklet about chaos days so he does this thing with some of the government clients I believe even where they deliberately in production have days where they mess things up and they have like scripts running like you know what the chaos monkey thing um, was it Netflix or, or yeah, yeah. whoever is doing it something like that where basically they're like let's just see what happens if we you know, switch this component off or turn this, this server or this gateway off. And let's just see whether the system is sufficiently re resilient and, 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 and self-healing or whatever. 
All right, so we're moving on this concept that the optimum solution can win. So what this means is that no matter how senior you are in the organization, you'd be listened to, you'd be heard out. And in a sort of this evidence-based, if you have a better idea than someone else, even if they're more senior than you, your solution could win. This is a, a really great, important one. And I'm going to, to go off on, on a slight tangent here because I think it's super important. There's something called high reliability organizations. And I also listened to a NASA a podcast about project management and this came up in, in there too so it's still relevant to nasa because they're trying to be this yeah, and yeah what high reliability organizations do is that they're obsessed about operational consistency mm -hmm. and safety and one of their big tenets is that they defer to expertise Mm, so it yeah. doesn't matter how senior you are, they defer to the person that actually knows what they're talking about. And I think this optimum solution to win, deferring to expertise, high reliability organization is so important. And this is another shout out to leaders out there. If you are running an organization that is a mission critical thing, a highly regulated organization, something like NASA, something like SpaceX, something like uh, healthcare, mm. uh financial institutions where if you make mistakes, it's really bad, then you need to have this high reliability organization mentality where you're obsessed about getting things in operation and repeatedly doing that consistently well and safe. Because if you don't, you are going to have that Apollo 1 moment where you're blowing up on the launch pad and that's just going to set you back big time and you're going to have to learn the lesson the hard way. Well, so well, the, the Challenger disasters we'll see later, that exactly comes out of, out of, of that not being in place. So on a very a grassroot level, we know that high trust, high empathy teams perform much better than you know other teams. And that's exactly the same thing where you defer to those people in your team that have the best solution, the best approach, the, the most experience. And you do it because you don't care about your ego. Rockstar engineers or designers just don't work that well. And that's why I'm always a bit hesitant when people talk about Apple that highly because they have had this rockstar culture, but I think they were able to balance it well with other aspects of thinking about quality is set until maybe more recently where I've seen shift a little bit. You know, this is like humility 101. Yeah. This is so important. And, and it gets a trust thing. And not only is it better and safer and just a general better way of working, it also brings teams in. This goes back to step number one. If you have a clear goal that you're working towards, then it just removes that whole layer of politics. It brings a team in and everybody's working and on an equal footing. I think this is a nice lead into the next point about designing for simplicity and where you can't do that, then you design for redundancy. It's nice connection because we see this frequently that people gold plate or they over design. It's about responsible innovation and doing the right thing for the right circumstances and context. And simplicity is, is something that we should go for. It's, it's very, I mean, you, you have seen this, right? And we've all done it, right? We like complexity because it's cool. But the good solutions are usually the ones that are simple and in that case, okay, you need to build for redundancy because it's, you know, otherwise you're killing people. There's actually two things here is that simple, like what's the famous phrase? Like engineering is sort of like making things as simple as possible, but not simpler, you know, like as simple, <laughs> yes. as, as, simple as it can be, but not too, like not too yeah, simple. Simplistic, the, yes. Yeah, not too simplistic. Like you want it to be that right level. And I'd even go a step further talking about sort of modern software development 
is like, what can you remove? Like, you know, this is a classic refactoring argument. Teams should be congratulated for is what code they can remove from the code base just as much as the code that they put what in. They because, because ultimately, as an organization, you're going to be paying return on yeah. investment. You're going to be paying for that code forever. If you have to maintain it, some of it changes it. Like, if you don't need that code, get rid of it because you're going to be, you know, to maintain that code for eternity otherwise. And it's going to, you know, it's just going to yeah. be more and more complex. And I think it's also the thing around human readable code, code that simple to read that developers can easily understand the next generation of developers that come and have to you know in 10 years time look at your code base and do something with it. yeah simplicity okay three more to go all right the next one is what if thinking like i love this one too yeah the idea here is having this curiosity to think about what is the universe of possibility let's just not do what's been done before for the sake of it let's not get into tunnel vision what can we do you know and this is that you know i think probably in nasa's history this is apollo 13 you know the guys are stuck they're about to die and then you see that the engineers on the ground are pile the things that they have in the, the module onto a table and they're like okay how do we keep these guys alive and it's just that mentality of what is the art of the possible here and i think it comes down to in, in very practical terms and you and i have spoken about dependency management and risk management it's that kind of thing right while you design you try to foresee as much as possible and then when things happen some things you can foresee others you can't the classic black swan high impact low probability events you can't foresee them that in their nature then use this open-minded thinking in, in place and see how can we with what we have find the best solution and that's about creativity really I, I think this is much about an HR thing. What type of people do you want to hire on yes. your teams? And I think this is something that you should hire for or people that have that what if thinking, have that general curiosity because hopefully they're good developers or product managers or whatever they're doing on your team. But if they have this on top, they're just going to be a lot more useful as a team member. We're always going to face problems and incidents and being able to think quick on your feet and having that creativity is so important. All right, next one. Accountability is at all level of the program. Man, I love this one too. I love all these. I, I can't say enough about these. So the idea here is that although, you know, this is kind of the corollary to what we were talking about, the optimum solution and that you defer to expertise, this is the other side of the, of the coin where, you know, you have clear levels of accountability. The buck stops with these people and that cascades down all the way down to the teams. And why I see this one as so important for development team is that if you don't have that clear level of accountability, Ability, this is when we get into that, that same case I was talking about earlier, where teams are left guessing how to prioritize them. They're not quite sure what they're doing or who they answer to. And you you really need to, to create an organization with clear cascades of accountability. What that allows is for organizations to then trust those people. And that trust chain can go all the way down the teams. And what that creates is this environment where we all want to work in, where people can sort of self-organize and they could determine what, what's best for them to configure themselves to deliver because they know what their goal is. They know what they're accountable for, right? And, and so giving that accountability environment, it sounds counterintuitive, but having that environment of accountability allows you to give people that space. What I see a lot with organizations is that they would maybe now listen to you and they would not and they'd be like, yeah, we'll do that. And I'm like, no, most of you don't. But people misunderstand is that they have accountability at the exec level and responsibility at the grassroots level. Yes. And that's counterproductive because then you have people at the top who are accountable, but because they can, be, shit flows down, right? In, in that structure, because you just beat the responsible guys with a stick, but because they're not accountable, they have no skin in the game, really. And you at the top, you're accountable, so but you're not doing the work. So it creates this really uneven dynamic. Whereas if you have accountability at all levels, 
that creates a, a very even playing field. And, and that's what you want to opt for. It's really important to understand the difference between the two. Yeah, right. And maybe people are afraid of this. Like, oh, I'm accountable. Like, you know, that just means that the man is looking over my shoulder or something like that. If it's done well, that's not the point. The point is, is like I say, is to give these shared, shared goals yeah. in the safe space to, to be able to operate in. Right? It's, it's a mindset thing, right? It's not about control in the sense of bureaucratic control and you being monitored. It's about you feeling accountable that you, by whatever screw you are, you are screwing into the, the rocket, you are part of the moon landing and you do your screwing. That sounds weird. <laughs> <laughs> We apologize. Five minutes of teenage regression later. You're doing your job, whatever it is, no matter how big or small, as well as possible. That's what accountability means. One example of that is for like, you know, some astronauts like coming to check out the thing because it's like he's about to go into the the rocket, strap himself in. And you see some guys working on some wires. He didn't know who the guy, who the astronaut was. And he was coming to inspect it. Basically, the guy said, look, if this thing's going to fail, it's not going to be because of me. All right. Last one. Oh boy. Another great one. The last one is luck. Luck. Oh man. You know, this is something that we probably don't talk nearly enough about because a lot of times, you know, you're not going to go to the client and be like, Hey, I hope we get lucky here. Right. It's something you usually usually try to manage this away, right? Like you're trying to reduce the risk, but luck plays a big part in life, really. If we look at a lot of these organizations that are the big digital companies now, a lot of them wouldn't have been anywhere near as successful as they're now if they hadn't started at that very, very moment, right? That's luck. The project we worked on together is having a really good core team. Well, there was just luck that these people were available and that they were around and they had maybe had parents who could afford them education or whatever it is. And I think recognizing this luck thing is about humility. It's really about like, whatever I have, a lot of it is due to luck. Like, I, I didn't choose yeah. to be born a certain way. I, so people that have less than you or are not as well off as you, that's mostly due to luck. So you have to acknowledge that and help your fellow human beings. I think it's also when you then have failure or someone fails, something fails, understand that maybe some of those things are also due to bad luck. That is not always someone messing up. Someone is just the circumstances not being right. The stars not aligning, if you like. People have tried their best and you learn from it and you move on. And next time you do it better. In some cases, you just can't control these things and that's fine as well this is about you know the culture of allowing experimentation and failure yeah so i think that brings to the end like sort of the section about the apollo program i really hope people go back and listen to it because i think there's a lot to take away from it so this is it guys we'll be back next week with the second and final part um, where we'll talk about the discovery disaster and see how the excellence of the Apollo era organization that we just talked about descended into dysfunction that characterized NASA during the years of the Challenger mission and arguably later on. And of course, we'll talk about what we can learn from this. So stay tuned. Join us again next week. Bye. That's it for today's episode. Have a look at our show notes with related information and details on how to get in touch at thebarnup.com. We are listener-driven, so please do send us your questions, comments, and ideas for new episodes. We're both practitioners and are happy to discuss interesting opportunities from consulting to coaching to getting involved in actual projects. For inquiries, please visit burnupmedia.com. This podcast is produced by Burnup Media Limited under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 license, which means you can share it as long as you give credit, but you cannot change it or make money of it. 
Until next time, thanks again for listening, and have a wonderful day.